Well, we have a really fun show today uh, because we get to talk to a very special person. Um, and I'm going to have Caleb actually introduce this person to us. Caleb, wanna, you want to introduce Aaron to us? Yes, the the woman, the myth, the legend. Um, <laughs> this <laughs> oh is my um, Aaron Ayanian Monroe, who is my wife and a makeup artist by trade. So we're going to be talking today about the role of makeup in storytelling on screen. That's right. And we're going to focus in a little bit more specifically because Aaron had a really, really cool job come up recently. Um, and so not only will we be hearing about, you know, the makeup process in general, but also specific to uh, Aaron, do you want to tell us what you were involved in uh, that was super cool? And then our audience would be oh, well, really excited I, about Yeah, I got it. I got a chance to work with Jared Leto in his role as the Joker for the Zack Snyder reshoots. Um, and, Which is yeah, amazing. Was... And everyone in our audience is going to be like super jealous that you got a chance to do that. <laughs> So my, my first question, my first question for you is, uh, you know, how long have you been involved in film production from the makeup side of things and, and how, what led to you being approached for, cause I mean, the Joker makeup has a lot going to it, which we'll get into, but I mean, like th this is a, this is a, uh, this is a pretty big ask, um, in my mind. So what, how does that, how does this, how does your career lead up to this? Well, I've been doing makeup since 1994, um, but I definitely started more in the fashion world, working with models and magazines type of thing and runway and that, and like that like. Um, but I'm based in LA and when you're based in Los Angeles, as you progress in your career, you'll definitely get asked to do celebrity work because it's very celebrity driven in Los Angeles as, to, as opposed to New York where it's very fashion driven. Um, and I did a still shoot with Lucy Liu in like 2000, 2002. And she and I hit it off and that's how I ended up doing film because she asked me to work on the second Charlie's Angels with her. Um, so that was my in into the union and the sort of the whole world of filmmaking. And since then it's sort of become a heavier part of my work. I mean, I still do fashion smattering of fashion things here and there and red carpet, but the bulk of my work is now um, with storytelling, with film, and with a handful of TV productions. Oh, that's awesome! And what are some of the what are some of the previous uh, films that you've done makeup for? Um, gosh, there are a lot now, but I think maybe a standout one was the Neon Demon with uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, mm -hmm. uh, as that was the first time I ran a makeup department and was sort of responsible for a lot of the look of the film and worked with three of the lead actresses and ran the makeup department. So that was kind of a, a little bit of a turning corner for me as far as working on films go. And that was, gosh, when, when was that? Mm, 2017, 2016, okay. 2017. And I guess my work in that film was what led to the Joker job. Nice. Because I think uh, Zach and Jared, had seen that film and decided that they wanted whoever had done that film to do the next Joker. Wow. That's huge. I mean, and by the way, um, I, I haven't actually seen that, that film, uh, but 
uh, Caleb had mentioned that to me, like, oh yeah, she did the makeup for the Neon Demon stuff, and he sent me the trailer, and I watched the trailer, and I go, oh yeah, it makes total sense why they'd ask you. This is not only is this uh, film, the tone of this film, very unsettling, you might say, mm-hmm. um, yeah, because that kind of way- madness and that disturbing, exactly. yeah. <laughs> And, and not, but not only that, but like wh- what character are, are they now asking you to get into, which of course is a very unsettling character in many, in many right. regards. So right. um, very cool. Well, well, that's really exciting stuff. And obviously, you know, our audience is full of writers and producers, but also just a bunch of people who just really like comic books, fantasy and, um, and sci-fi. So, and we've spent a lot of time uh, in the Story Geeks podcast talking about justice league talking about zach snyder's uh involvement in the dceu and so i'm just curious as to when you start a conversation about doing the makeup specifically for the for the joker you know how does that conversation go because obviously this has been a character that other people have done makeup for in the past there is a specific yeah, storytelling component. Exactly, exactly. And there's a lot of storytelling yeah. components related to like how he how he does his how he does his his look. So yeah, how does that how does that process go? What does that conversation look like? I mean, the funny thing was I didn't really have much of a creative conversation with Zach prior to it. We had three testing days with Jared that um, he had us come to his home, myself and um, the person who did his wigs. And um, we just we took three separate days to just sort of play and experiment and see how we wanted it to look. And I think Zach really left much of it up to Jared, like it was how Jared wanted his character to look. Mm. Um, Yeah. And I mean, Jared has an amazing appreciation for an artistic process and um, really gave the time for us to play around and try a lot of different things. And so, I mean, I rarely have the luxury of doing something like that these days. So many films, we don't really get cameras before we go into filming. So that was a real luxury and, a, and really fun to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know much. I've never met Jared, of course, and I don't know much about him other than the fact that he does seem like a quintessential artist of an actor right? I mean, like, honestly i feel like i still have yet to meet him <laughs> i mean i was in a mask the whole time of course and like all that and he was just very quiet and serious and focused so i don't know that i we even really had a conversation it was more like pointing at things and yes and i don't know and you know <laughs> so. oh wow that's cool No. And he was so great because, you know, on the end of the third day, he made a point of thanking us all and telling us how happy he was. And we've done a great job, et cetera, because tomorrow on the film day, I'm going to be really weird and not talk to any of you. So (laughs) I just want to say thank you now. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I have a question. We, We referenced sort of the iconic history of the Joker makeup. And I think this is, this would be the sixth uh, on, you know, big screen makeup that the Joker's gotten, right? The TV show and movie in the 60s, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, um, the Joaquin Phoenix one, and then yeah. the previous Leto, which is interesting because yes. he's the first actor to do it twice, the two different looks. Um, 
So I'm just curious, how much of that was a consideration as you went into it? I mean, it really, from my point of view, it really wasn't. I didn't really, I mean, I guess subconsciously it probably was because there was sort of a grotesquerie around the mouth and um, darkness on the eyes. And that's definitely a through line for the Joker all along. You know, those are pretty consistent elements, but I didn't really look back at what the other ones have been. I just wanted to just do something that came organically. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, the, you almost asked the exact same question I was going to ask, Caleb, because <laughs> when it comes from a when it comes to a storytelling um, standpoint, it's it's fascinating to see how the uh, the visual design of the character plays such an important role in the telling of the story. Um, obviously, the '66 Batman, that Joker is that the whole show is is comical right it's a, it's 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 a it's ridiculous um and the joker looks actually fairly ridiculous but as you progress throughout the years the joker gets a lot darker it starts to follow a lot of you know almost like the 90s comics where the 90s comics kind of took joker in a lot of ways becomes much more psychologically disturbing and then of course we had this we had this moment where the Suicide Squad came out and Joker was in Suicide Squad. He was not a major character in Suicide Squad. Um, you could argue that he's almost more of a marketing vehicle for Suicide Squad than he is uh, <laughs> having like a really major involvement. But but fans were... Now, now I want to put in one caveat before I say this. We have no clue what the people who made Suicide Squad would have wanted that movie to look like what we know about that movie is that it was extensively there were a lot of voices involved in that so so there's reportedly from the director three different movies of that three different movies shot of suicide squad and we have one of those movies available to us but and the reason why i give that caveat is to say that that joker became very very controversial um, because of not only the visual design, which was, I think, actually received fairly well, but then the inclusion. I thought of it Joker, looked amazing. Yeah, it was very, um, it was very visually. But what, I think what it was, and this is just, I'll just call it out this way, is from a storytelling standpoint, they were taking Heath Ledger and his performance, which was very. Uh, chaotic and that's sort of what joker has been made to represent in the comics is this the the embodiment of chaos and i promise i'll, I'll promise mm -hmm. i'll get back to makeup but i just, just just as an overview this joker um in david ayer's suicide squad was actually much more of a joker who had plans who had ideas uh which the joker does appear in the comics um as that joker as well so it was a, it was a different style of referencing the so for example you could argue that heath leather's joker would never it would would have such a level of chaos that he would never put a tattoo on his body because it'd be like well what what purpose would a tattoo have whereas this joker is very even planned in the way he puts tattoos on his body right like mm -hmm. um and so you have this very different dichotomy between the two and now we're now zach snyder uh, invited Jared Leto back into the role, but obviously there's a big difference between what we see on screen um, and what came before. So it's, so I think it's almost, you know, I'll just say it this way. It's really cool 
that he basically turned to Jared Leto and said, hey, I know that this was maybe not received the way you had hoped it would be received, but I have the level of confidence in you to be able to say, you can take this to the next level, so let's go ahead and do that. I mean, that's just really special. So having having you come in and having a clean slate, to me, just feels like a really a big breath of fresh air for that character in this world. So as you think about what you put in to what were some of the ideas that you brought to the table as you worked with, with Jared? I mean, I just wanted him to look as disturbing as possible. Mm. You know, I wanted it to look like your worst nightmare. And, um, you know, I thought on the day it would be fun if his mouth was full of blood and it was dribbling out of his <laughs> mouth a little <laughs> bit when he spoke. And, you know, honestly, I haven't had a chance to watch what it ended up being. I haven't seen the film yet. So I don't know if that even read or they even caught that or not. Um, but you know, the white face, that's obviously like a through line. Like they always have, he always has a white face. So I just sort of started with that. Um, and yeah, I don't, I mean, it just kind of happened as I did it. It's mm, funny. Cause mm. I never really go in with a plan. Um, I just kind of do it as it comes and just how it feels on the day. And it was great that I had three days to sort of play with it so we could figure out what it was going to be. And um, James McKinnon came in and did like the little scarring and that sort of thing. Cause I'm not really adept at that kind of thing. I'm more of a, mm. you know, just the cosmetic aspect of it. So we sort of teamed up together. That's awesome. You yeah. know, I don't know if, I don't know if you've, if you've heard this or not, but many people are saying that that is one of the best Joker Batman scenes ever put on, on film. And I'm, oh, and I know, cool. yeah, it's very cool. And, and I know that it also has a lot to do with the fact that the visual representation of the Joker feels correct in that scene. So fantastic job. That was, oh, that great. was excellent. Great. Um, <laughs> now, as you think about, so as we talk about, like, you know, you said he, that he, he has various wigs that he's trying on and he had, and of course you've got the, uh, the, the white makeup and then you've got the, uh, blood and I'm assuming is it in your mind, was it blood and clown makeup around the mouth or was it more of just smeared blood or how did you think about what was Oh no, I mean, there was a lot of black going on. I sort of like did the inner rim of his lips was all like a black paint and then mm. it sort of bled out to red around the edges. Um, uh, nice. Yeah. And his eyes, we had that same black paint just around his eyes, but I put it, broke it up with some lip balm. So it was a little bit greasy and oily looking. I wanted it to be a little bit runny. Oh, that's um, cool. And James put some prosthetic pieces over his eyebrows. So it's like, okay, how are we going to get rid of your eyebrows? Do you want to shave them off? <laughs> or should we put like, a piece over him? And I don't think he really wanted to shave them off, but James just covered him up with some little appliances. And um, yeah, and then I just, I used an airbrush for the white just you know airbrush his whole face out and then just did the cosmetic things on top of that uh that's cool and then and then yeah how did he go about the process of like choosing a wig like how many different wigs did he try and like what made him kind of gravitate towards that one do you know i mean i'm okay a greek hairdresser called yotis um it's y-i-o-t-i-s uh took care of his wigs and he brought like he designed them and he brought a couple of different options for Jared to try. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was like a shorter one and 
that was similarly colored, but then he went for the long one. I mean, they, he said maybe it'll be cool to do a little bit longer hair this time. And they definitely went with that. They loved it. Um, Yotis Pana Yotu is his last name. Oh, nice. <laughs> he's Greek and he's amazing. Um, and he comes from the fashion world too. So they sort of like called both of us more from the fashion world. I think they wanted something that was a little bit more skewed that way. Um, and then on the day, you know, Jared decided he wanted some scars and that sort of thing on his face. And um, it's like, well, that's not really my wheelhouse, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. they still wanted my cosmetic eye. So they brought in James to do that. And, you know, we made a good team. James is great. That's awesome. Now, Caleb, have you seen just Zack Sanders Justice League yet? Uh, I have not. Okay. Um, so they, for the, for, wanting to see it very soon, we have issues with which streaming service shows it here in the UK. Yeah, we're having a hard time here seeing it. <laughs> of course, yeah, of course. Well, let me just describe, a lot of listeners will have seen where the scene is, and so I'll just describe that to a, to a, to a certain degree. Um, because it's not, it's not, this is actually, it's, the scene itself is actually not much of a spoiler alert because it the scene takes place in what's called the, the nightmare. Um, so if you've seen any of the other Zack Snyder films, he has this version of the future where um, essentially uh, dark side is, has taken over the planet and um, you know, Superman is working for dark side and it, it actually has not a lot to do with the main storyline at all, but he's, he's included this because what he's doing is he's referencing future stories that he, he hopes would be a part of um, the DCEU. And so the scene takes place where uh, Batman um, and the Joker are talking to one another in in this nightmare scenario where Darkseid has has taken over the planet, and you get the impression that they are actually working together because they're both trying to bring down. So Batman's working with several of his enemies, which if you haven't um, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil who those other people are. But he's working with several of his enemies, including Joker, because there is a greater evil afoot on the face of the earth. And so I think it's really interesting the way that you've described, you know, the intentionality that you and Jared and the, um, the hair, uh, the wig maker were putting into this because this is not your normal Gotham city problem. This is a nightmare scenario wherein the worst possible version of the future exists to the point where these people would have to work together to, to solve the next problem, you know, to get Batman to work with <laughs> Joker and to have this conversation where they're at tension with one another. Um, but ultimately realizing that they may need to work together is, um, I love is that really you're filling me in on the, all this. Cause I never even saw a script and we just filmed <laughs> a giant green sound stage. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, like, I mean, that's like, Oh, that's yeah. what we were doing. And it yeah, was just one afternoon of shooting. I mean, you know, I was there for like six hours and that was, and it was a wrap. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, so they, they captured all that really quickly too. So, so yeah, describe to me then, really describe good. to me some of like, what's going on on set. Like when you're on set, like, you know, how early do you have to get there to, to prepare? I and mean, how long are you there? it depends on how complicated the makeup and hair is prior and what time they want them on set. But I mean, for this, I think we, they gave us two hours, maybe two and a half to do it all. Um, and you go to set and you've got monitor bank of monitors up. 
um, mm. so we can see what the camera sees. And I mean, I'm sure your listeners are probably all pretty familiar with this process, but um, you know, I'm just watching the monitor going in, you know, every time they said cut, I'd bring a thing so he could spit the blood and then I'd fill his mouth with blood again before they rolled again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just awesome. the, the minutia of getting the shot. Um, yeah. And it was and a what, great and, crew. I mean, Debbie Zoller was the makeup department head on the thing and she's amazing. And, you know, we just had a good time. That's really cool. It was very and, and, much out of my wheelhouse. I'm usually making people pretty. So <laughs> it was a surprise to get the call. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? Awesome. Me? <laughs> yeah, that's epic. So, so, so on the day of filming, then was was he true to his word? Was he pretty much just silent when it came to? Yeah. Oh no, he was yeah. silent. He didn't even speak to his assistant. He was just sort of gesturing, and he was extremely focused. Oh wow. He spoke that's afterwards, weird. though, when we when he came back in and we were all done and we were cleaning his face off. Then he spoke, and it was funny because he walked in the trailer and I didn't have my mask on because I was alone in there, and he's like. Oh, hi. Oh, there you are. Like, it's the first time I've seen your face. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it's like, oh, ooh, sorry, sorry. Let me get get all covered up again. Yeah, it's that's funny. cool. It was like, that's when we met. An epic COVID mask would actually be the Joker smile. I don't, I don't, <laughs> right? I'm sure there is one out there, but if we yeah, can make well, one we of those. Sort of, yeah, that's kind of a game at work is like, what kind of smile are you wearing today on your mask? Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <yeah. laughs> now, it, obviously we've talked about hair, prosthetics, makeup, all have a close relationship, but it's all focused pretty much on the head. Uh, at what point in the process does uh, costume design come into play? And it, what consideration, if any, is there between the interplay between what's I going mean, on with the head and what's going on in the body? Huge, huge. I mean, for this, not as much because it was, whatever his makeup was going to be was what it was going to be, no matter what the costume did, what happened with costume. Um, but, you know, for everything else I do, the first thing is the costume. What is, what is the person wearing? Because it has to play off that and harmonize with it um, in some fashion. I mean, they can't be completely detached from each other. So, I mean, they had the, the whoever did the costume, I actually don't even know who it was, but the, they brought the most incredible range of things. I mean, it was everything from like, actual crowns of thorns to, you know, old medieval looking jeweled crowns. And uh, I mean, it's just all kinds of headdresses and just rails and rails and rails of things for him to choose from. And um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. It's, it's sad because there were so many great things and it's only going to be one thing at the end of the day. <laughs> you, know, you want it to be 10. Well, um, and that's yeah. actually, that actually leads me to an interesting question too, because there was a photo shoot done like specifically for Joker in which like, you know, you know, most of the other characters didn't have a photo shoot like that. Were you there for that photo shoot as well? Was that also part of the thing? Um, are you talking about the black and whites that Zack yes. Snyder released? And yeah, that was like, he did that. Like uh, he did that on stage right before we filmed. That was all the same day. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, so, so did you change much? Did you change um, much between the two shoots like between the stills and and the no the i mean the stills were basically his look for the film and then they just took him to set and we shot oh wow so awesome. yeah i mean what i really wish i have of all the photographs from the test day because his assistant took all of those and you know i didn't have access to any of that stuff oh, so wow. yeah, that's yeah and awesome. i wasn't allowed to take any pictures with my own camera because they were so worried about you know 
yeah. keeping it secret and everything. But we have some really incredible pictures from those test days that I really wish I could get my hands on. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we we had a fun conversation because of uh, you reminded me of the there is a picture of him in the stills where he has the crown of thorns on his head. Yeah, of, yeah, they released one of those. Yeah, yeah, and one of the funny one of the fun conversations I was having with some of my friends was I go. Um, I really enjoy, by the way, just for full context, I really enjoy Zack Snyder's vision for what he's trying to accomplish. Um, I know that it, it tends to be controversial. You either look, kind of love it or you hate it. I actually really enjoy it. Um, but but the one thing I think is really funny is I don't know Zach and I, I don't know much of his background, but I would I would argue that he likes to play with whether it's superman or in this case joker he likes to play with this the the metaphors that he has in his head for who jesus christ might be mm. and um <laughs> they're very strange metaphors they're they're like nothing what i would call the person of jesus christ so it's interesting to see him play with Play well, there's power games. there, you know, there's, there's power there. So basically when you start playing with that imagery, you're going to tap into something real. Yeah. That's a, oh, that's it, a really it, good way of saying that. Yeah. So it, it's effective. Yes. Yeah. And just on a story side of things, it's, it's really hard to portray savior figures mm. in a story, you know, in a Western story without that being in people's minds because mm. uh, Christ is sort of the definitive cultural savior figure yeah. and he, these superheroes are savior figures. And, you know, but it's really interesting because Superman is, is, is really more of a Moses figure because, yes. uh, you know, he's put in the basket, sent away and uh, raised by someone who adopts him. But then when it comes to him actually saving people in, in all the films, you, you see this, Christ imagery seeping in because he's saving people as a savior. Right. Well, and it's, and it's apparent too that uh, Zack Snyder is using that metaphor because in this conversation that Joker's having with Batman, it's, it's obvious that Batman as this dictator of order, as this bringer of order, is going to have to work with the embodiment of chaos in order to save the planet. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy because as you, as you say, Aaron, that these things have these Im this imagery has power to it. And so Batman is looking to the devil to help him save the world. So to speak. Well, the right? devil in quotation marks wants to go on with the game. So yeah. if he doesn't get on board, then they're all going to die and the game's over. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and then you get, then what you get to do is you get to bring this, bring this scenario um, to life from a visual perspective. And when you talk about, you know, the devil portraying himself as Christ, it is, it, it, it does, it, it does have power because it's a, it's a double, it's a double hit to what your expectations are mm -hmm. and to having to rely on someone who you literally see as an enemy, um, is really, really fascinating concept. Mm -hmm. Um, now, when you talked about, uh, Caleb, you had asked about costume design. If I'm not mistaken, and by the way, that's a, it's a four-hour movie, and that scene is about, you know, 
maybe a minute if it's a minute. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, it's <laughs> it has hard to turn to, up on YouTube, right? It's got to be on YouTube already. Yeah. yeah it's got to be on there. Because <laughs> Caleb would be thrilled to sit through a four hour yeah. <laughs> film like that, but I'm, I might just cut to the chase. <laughs> yeah. You might just need to go just fast forward. Yeah. It's, it's, it's at the very end. So it's easy to find. Um, yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, he's wearing, he, they, in the final shoot, and you might not know this, but I think he's in, um, He's in a bulletproof vest, is he not? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So then, so there you go. You got kind of this like you've got kind of this uh, dystopian. So almost like the joke, the worst case scenario the Joker could possibly be in. But it's interesting that he would choose to wear a bulletproof vest because obviously he um, he sort of you know Heath Ledger's Joker, for example, was such a chaotic Joker that is almost kind of like. I'm not going to wear one because I don't even care if I blow myself up or if someone shoots me. I who cares? Nothing. Right. Nothing is. Nothing matters. But in this case, right. um, this Joker actually feels like that matters, which is and really. I, yeah, or did I he just a... like it as a fashion statement? <laughs> true. He true. might have just thought it looked cool. <laughs> very true. Very true. But you know, it does. It also just goes with the the nightmare has militarized the characters in it. Yes. Um, you know, Superman is militarized and has forces, uh, mm. armies, you know, and Batman is militarized. He's wearing military gear, not just his bat gear, you know? So it's, it's, you have what's, you have a world that's been become one big war and it sort of militarizes everyone and, you know, leave it to the Joker mm. to, to be a part of that. And yet also just be, <laughs> have it be part of the look, you know? Like well, it, it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, also, I mean, Jared has such a beautiful face to look at and like they wanted him to still kind of look like Jared, like scary, but good in a way, like yeah. not just downright hideous. Because, <laughs> I mean, I definitely could have gone really horrifying. And I think that, you know, there was a, a moment where it was like, oh, that might be a little too grotesque. Oh, like, sure. They sure. still want him to kind of look like Jared. Right, because Jared is a good look. <laughs> well, it's also there's also something... I could have had fun going even darker. <laughs> <laughs> there's also something powerful to that too, because um, what that kind of reveals is that Joker has every ability to be a normal human and is choosing not to be. Right? Yeah. So right. Um, if you make him if you make him not look like Jared anymore, then it's like, yeah, this could be. He needs to be recognizable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the other interesting thing that the that the vest of bulletproof vest brings up that's actually probably the best continuity between the Suicide Squad Joker and this this Joker now is that the Suicide Squad Joker definitely had plans and intentions and he was a gangster. He's almost like the leader of, of a gang, right? And having him wear a bulletproof vest is almost like the connecting piece between that Joker and the chaotic Joker, which is kind of a cool connection piece too, where it's like, he hasn't just completely abandoned his, his right thinking. It's just that he's maybe trying to bring about chaos in a different way. Um, likely wow, you really think about the psychology behind it. Cause I'm still stuck on, I think he just think it looked, thought it looked cool. <laughs> well, that's probably true, but, but this is what we do. This is what we do with stories. And, right. and by the way, and, and it's, it's actually what I think is really cool is um, Caleb and I talk a lot on this show 
about him being a muse and me being a mechanic. So my brain's constantly always trying to work out like, well, why, why, Take why, why? Take the pieces why? apart. Like we have Take all these all the pieces, pieces apart. Yeah, yeah, I'm putting exactly. them back together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. To, it's always fun for me as a, as more of a mechanical thinker to interact with people who are more of like, no, we're just doing it to look as cool as possible. And because what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge for me to go like, oh yeah, I should just do that more often. Like just instead of uh, trying to specifically work right. out the problem, I should just do something that I feel and just go with that. So yeah. I think that's, that's just a cool. I mean, cause this, that. with this character, it's all about, I mean, well with every, I mean, this is a visual medium we're talking about. And with this character, it's all about the visuals. So it really was just what looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, awesome. and I, I mean, I can't speak for Jared. I mean, maybe he had an elaborate emotional process going on behind the scenes when he chose his costume, but the vibe I got was let's just try everything on and see what looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think, I do think that there's, you know, what Zack Snyder did was something that Hollywood rarely does. And that is he turned to somebody who was, sort of seen as a failure by the fans not jared personally but that particular version of the joker and said you probably learned from what happened with the last film and you probably have ideas about why it happened and how to change it so i'm just going to go because because i have faith in you to be able to to do the right thing here to, to, to be able to tell a performer that from a storytelling standpoint is the ultimate trust in that person um and is very very cool i mean so i just think really i mean i i barely i wouldn't really say that i worked with zach because i just i spent a day with him and talked to him on the phone maybe twice yeah yeah <laughs> but um the vibe i got was very much you guys work it out together and i just think that people that know what they're doing hire people for a reason because they're familiar with their work they believe in them and they believe in their artistic vision and then they just let them go yeah you know i, exactly. I the, most of the directors i've worked with that i would love to work with again did not micromanage they were like do your thing yeah totally that's so and that's cool. like the ideal thing for the artist right absolutely that's why you get into art not so you can just be yeah told what to do, right? i mean that was like nick reffin on the neon demon he was like pretty much do whatever you want you know that's cool so it just became a collaboration between l and me you know fanning who was that's fantastic leader. yeah i think that something else that you that you see from someone like zach snyder who's such a experienced culture maker you know, with iconic film after iconic film, but yeah. also, you know, you part of how you become a culture maker is you understand how culture works. Mm. And I, I would, I would not say this is on a conscious level, but I, I imagine that he understood that a lot of the fans' controversial reaction to Leto and Suicide Squad also had to do with their grief for the loss of Ledger. Mm. You know that. Oh, like whoever came next was going to be doomed. Whoever <laughs> came next was going to be in trouble because people were grieving. And it's sort of like, you know, it's like my dad died. And why are you trying to be my dad? You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that so of... intense. <laughs> <laughs> it's not real, you guys. It's a movie. <laughs> but, you know, I think that I think 
you know, that dynamic was going on, I think he understood that. And I think yeah, he, but you that can is, see but, by yeah. the quality of the reaction the second time around. And I imagine it's got people rethinking what they thought the first time around mm. that, that people re are reacting differently now because their circumstances are different as well. Yeah. What did people yeah. not like about Suicide Squad Joker? I just thought, I mean, I didn't see Suicide Squad, but I looked at the images, of course, and I thought he looked incredible. It was more, it wasn't so much the look at all. I don't think people had a problem with the look. I think what they had a problem with was that um, basically the Joker was portrayed as a psychopath who also very specifically had a, a, um, a plan to like gain more money, gain more influence, sort of more of what you would see from a, mafioso than than the embodiment of chaos and so i think and by the way i say all of that and also say we don't know what other scenes were shot the one thing i can tell you with a lot of confidence is that if you watch a Zack snyder film that the studio wanted him to release and then you watch a Zack snyder film that he wanted to release as is the case of justice league they're completely different films oh i'm like, sure it's two different things yeah it's very different things and so I'm I'm pretty confident that David Ayer probably was going for something because I mean David Ayer is a fantastic filmmaker in his own right and has really great films under his um, under his belt. But uh, my thought process was always like the Joker wasn't given much attention besides look at this flashy Joker, and if he was given more backstory for being the reason why he is. It wasn't in that film. It didn't appear in that film. And so it was a little bit harder for people to take and accept because their brain just went to well, the last thing I saw to Caleb's point is Ledger. And now I'm seeing yeah. this Joker. I just and think I have Caleb no... was dead on. Like yeah. whoever whoever tried to step into that role just post Heath Ledger was going to get, exactly. was going to run into a problem because it wasn't going to be Heath Ledger. And that's what everybody wanted it to be. Yeah. And, think... and there's a second dynamic at play just from a storytelling standpoint, which is Suicide Squad is the first time we see a Joker with a love interest, Harley Quinn, who is as iconic a looking character as he is. And pure chaos doesn't have a relationship. You can't date right. pure chaos. So there does have to be, he has to be a different version of the character to, he has to be someone who can be in a relationship because, right. uh, you know, a large part of what was driving that was just how both crazy they are, but also in love that they are. And, you know, there's so many versions of the Joker that have been in the comics and in various forms of media going all the way back to the, I think, 40s is when he first appeared, maybe late 30s, that you have a lot of material to work with and so yeah. they you know i think they went a little more towards the the version of the joker that can actually have a relationship yeah and i think also if they had only shown the scene there's a very brief scene where joker and harley are basically dancing in a ballroom and um if they had kept it to just that scene i think people would have been over the moon about it it'd been like this is amazing um but so they almost they almost ran into this scenario which is inherent in storytelling where you either give zero backstory or you give a little bit of backstory 
but not enough. And I think probably they gave a little bit too much backstory, but without giving him enough backstory because he was a side character. He was not meant to be anything but. Yeah, but uh, I also think he's such a large cultural figure. You don't really need to give him backstory. True. Um, but I think. Know, like, you don't really, every time there's a Spider Man movie, you don't have to go through his Uncle Ben dying. And every time there's a how Batman he became movie, Spider Man. You don't have to go through his parents dying. I mean, a lot of times they choose to at least reference it, but every, you know, everyone knows that story. So you're able to do different things. You're able to do types of narrative that have, that are past origin story, you know? Oh, I totally agree. What, what I'm referring to is more so if you're going to, if you're going to make the leap from, that joker having come from ledger's joker it's almost like a a direct 180 or at least a 90 degree turn really fast and that's if you lack the connection piece between those two elements which is by the way not related to this to the suicide squad story whatsoever it's just to your point earlier about the cultural context and cultural making um you've now completely altered the cultural context of that character uh without giving a backstory as to why that character is different and so i think that there's again nothing to say with the storytelling but with the way that the audience reacts to the story um there's a big difference in those two in the kind of those yeah. two components i think um, i mean i think i think grief about the death of ledger is, is probably was probably the biggest dynamic and and because you can't replace him and because right. he took the character as chaotic as possible, you have to do something else. You have to exactly. turn from that because you can't exactly. go more crazy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can't you can't try to just do the exact same thing. That would ring hollow. So I think they did the thing that that they had to do that that was right for the character and right for the movie. But you know, people we were we talked about this earlier today when we recorded our episode on rejection. Yeah. People are hardwired to not want change because change can mean danger. Yeah, and exactly. they, people like the known versus the unknown because it means <laughs> you have a better chance of surviving. Like that's wired into us as humans. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's just that anytime you make a change, people are going to struggle with it. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's why I think that Zach inviting Jared Little back into it and having it actually make sense is really a pretty powerful move from from a lot of different perspectives. My last question was when people watch that scene and they're looking at the visual components of what you put into that scene, what are some of the things besides just taking it in from a holistic perspective, what are some of the things that you would really hope that they would check out and what really ho hope that they would pay attention to because the level of detail you went into uh, was pretty extensive and you'd like them to recognize that in some way, shape or form. I mean, I think it's much less specific for me. I mm. just want it to be an impression of darkness and madness. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't say that, oh, I want them to notice this color or that texture. Mm. I just want them to look at that and be and, and feel like, wow, that's that's really disturbing looking. Um, you know, that's the whole purpose. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the way I think the way it was filmed, it was extremely desaturated. So you're not really seeing the colors I use so much. Um, for what I saw a little tiny snip online that it swims in and out of focus. So you're not really like seeing a lot of detail. 
it's very impressionistic is the idea I'm getting it. So, so yeah, I just want them to have the impression of darkness <laughs> and madness. <laughs> Which is perfect because that's exactly how it works. And I, yeah. I actually think that um, the fact that you brought up that it goes in and out of focus is uh, I'm remembering that now. Because I remember thinking like, yeah. why is it so blurry right now? But no, you're right. It was going that was in like, and out of focus. It, it was intentional. Right. Like a way to make you feel a little bit more unsettled even. Yeah, that's cool. Oh no, a little yeah, off ahead. topic, but somebody showed me a Tom Waits interview from 1979 the other day and said, Hey, if you want to see Heath Ledger's Joker, look at this Tom Waits 1979 interview. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause apparently that was something that he looked at and sort of based some of his performance on and it was dead on. <laughs> wow. Interesting. I'm going right. to go check that Cultural out. Cultural scholars. Yeah. Can track yeah. That down. And, uh, yeah. Funny little tidbit. You want to know how they reached out to me, um, how I, they contacted me to do the job. <laughs> they DM'd me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The, the... How 2021 is that? Exactly. Totally. <laughs> oh, totally. All right, Caleb, what questions you got? Um, I just sort of, I have a, a final question. Um, you're working on a project now that's very different. As far as end result goes, but is the process still basically the same when you do historical oh, satire versus yeah. something something heightened like superhero? So first, tell people what you're working on. I'm working and- on a Hulu show called The Great with Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt. And it is a, a period satire. It's about Catherine the Great. And as the title says, an occasionally true story. It is, it's very uh, comedic and that sticks very loosely <laughs> to history. <laughs> um, it's the showrunner is Tony McNamara who did the favorite and it, it has a, a little bit of that flavor to it. Um, and of course it's set in the 18th century. So I don't really want there to be anything on my actress's face that couldn't conceivably have been formulated in that century. So <laughs> You know, I, I can take a little creative license with some makeup just so that it doesn't distract from the storytelling um, by its absence. Sometimes it can look jarring. Um, we have to see what we're used to seeing on screen for it to actually be invisible. Um, but like I would never use mascara or anything dark because in that era they didn't really have those things nor would they use them so it's really about a lot of cheek and really pure skin and trying to get the prettiest looking impression with the least amount of product because you don't really want makeup to be discernible Hmm. so yeah different process but it's just it's to support the storytelling and you have to know when the makeup's important and it needs to be seen and when it needs to really take a backseat. And if nobody notices that you've done your job and that's more what I'm doing these days to try to be a component, but be an invisible component. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That does leave me with a final thought. And this is a writing thought. Yeah. Be aware when you're writing a screenplay or a teleplay that all of these other departments are going to be involved costume Mm -hmm. hair makeup prosthetics as well as sort of the ones that we tend to think of directing lighting acting and you can use that to advantage you can you can plant visual cues to your story that people will then be able to um, jump off from or or make real and you can do so much storytelling 
without words. And we tend to focus so much on the words in screenplays, but just know you can, a couple of words about someone's costume or makeup can actually end up being a huge uh, component of what, of how that character feels to people and uh, operates in the story is. Yeah, it's a shorthand to character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's fun you. to that talk was about. Fun. It was Joker. fun. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Um, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Um, I guess on my Instagram. It's just Aaron Ayani <laughs> and Monroe. There you go. There you and, go. Go, uh, yeah, go follow Aaron is. on her Instagram. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> um, in the meantime, uh, we will have our normal run of shows so you can join us uh, Tuesday nights to talk in the Story Geeks Hangouts. And if you want to support the show, head over to thestorygeeks.com. And with that, Aaron, thank you for your time. Caleb, thank you for your time. And uh, Thanks, Jay. You guys are going to probably get to sleep in a little bit. And yeah, I'm we're going to have some dinner in my day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, talk to you later, guys. Right. Talk Bye, to you Jay. soon. Bye.